We want to thank you for listening to audio from the Hill Church. We exist to glorify God by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives together. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry or donate online, please visit us at thehillsd.org. Grab your seats and open up your Bible to Mark chapter 9. We will continue worshiping the Lord through the preaching of His Word. Mark chapter 9. How many of you are those, maybe we'll say, interesting people who enjoy watching the previews before a movie? I see a few hands. You know who you are. You show up early with popcorn, drink, candy. You pick the best seat in the middle, about halfway up. You're there 30 minutes before the movie starts. The lights are still on, and there's usually someone from the movie before sweeping up popcorn, but you're there. So the ones who are laughing, you know that's you. Or are you the person who intentionally shows up late to try to miss the previews because you didn't pay to watch those? That's me. I didn't pay to to watch previews, which previews keep getting longer and longer, right? They're like 25 minutes long now. And this is why I think the, the whole assigned seating thing is brilliant you can buy your ticket online uh, pick the seat everybody wants that you can get and still show up five minutes late and scoot through people and it's your seat it's waiting on you it's a brilliant thing but if i'm honest as much as i dislike previews they they do work right for movies Um, they're a great way to really entice the viewer and build anticipation for what's coming i remember when i was watching a movie. I don't even remember the movie, but the uh, preview for Black Panther was previewed. Um, after about f- the four minutes of this preview, three and a half minutes of what, maybe a sneak peek, you would have thought it was the main attraction when I was there. Everyone was excited. People even clapped after the preview. felt like I was supposed to get up and walk out as I had gotten what I paid for and just in the preview itself. And again, I don't even remember the movie that I was there to see, but I remember the preview. Um, sneak peeks do work. It gave, me, it gave everyone in the room a glimpse of what was to come, with Black Panther at least, and it left us hopeful and excited about the upcoming movie. Why do I open that this way this morning? This morning I think the disciples, they get something of a preview. The disciples get something of a sneak peek into Mark, in Mark chapter 9. They get a, a preview a glimpse, a sneak peek into the glory and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week we unpacked the the climax of chapter 8. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah of God. We said everything in chapter 8 and really much of from Mark Mark chapter 1 had been building towards this great confession. And much is going to flow from this confession as well. The importance of Peter's, but really the disciples' confession cannot be overstated. But if you remember, though Peter confessed Jesus as the Messiah, he didn't quite understand the type of Messiah he was. The cross, suffering, and death didn't quite fit Peter's understanding of a Messiah. So Jesus went on to clarify, not only the cross Peter and the disciples would bear, but the one each of us must bear to be His disciples. 
The call to follow Jesus is no easy one. It requires death. It demands the death of self, the denial of our will to live for Jesus. The Christian life demands embracing a cross, is what we looked at last week. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Mark 8, 34, 35. To follow Jesus is to follow Jesus where Jesus is going to a cross. But we follow Jesus because through the cross is where victory is found. We follow Jesus because through the cross is where glory is to be found. Both in the life of Jesus, but for each of us as his disciples as well. Peter could not grasp this last week. He confessed Jesus as the Messiah by faith. But this, faith, but this morning, Peter's faith is going to be given sight. This morning, Peter and the disciples, the, James and John, will behold the glory of Jesus. And we have to connect this with last week's call to discipleship. Unless we behold the glory and majesty of Jesus in His person and work upon the cross, we will never truly follow Him. Here's my main point you can maybe want to take down this morning. Following Jesus requires us beholding His glory as God's suffering servant whom we must listen to. Following Jesus requires us beholding His glory as God's suffering servant whom we must listen to. Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read the first 13 verses here. This is God's word to us. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. He led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elisha with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Lord, we we again pause after the reading of your word. 
Lord, help me to lift up the beloved son that we all need to listen to. Lord, I, I pray for that we would have eyes to see the glory of Jesus this morning. That we would have ears to listen to the voice of Jesus this morning. And that we would have hearts that are soft and willing to receive the instruction of our Lord how to follow you. Lord, I pray we don't miss this morning. I pray we don't miss the majesty and the glory of the Son in His suffering on our behalf. Lord, help us to see, help us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. There's really only two scenes in this text. We're on the mountain, we're down the mountain. And we're just going to consider maybe three headings to help us walk through the text. We'll look at the glory of the Son in verses 1 through 3. We'll look at the affirmation of the Father in 4 through 8. And then we're going to consider the suffering of God's servant in 9 through 13. So first, the, the glory of the Son in verses 1 through 3. As we said, to, to follow Jesus is to follow Him to a cross. However, this means in no way defeat. Yes, Jesus is headed to the cross... He's headed for suffering, he's headed for rejection, he's headed for death, but he's also headed for glory. He explains this to his disciples in verse 1. He says, and he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come upon them. Jesus is referring to what will follow, is about to follow, his transfiguration, his preview, his really sneak peek into the power of the coming of the kingdom of God. Peter, James, and John make up the sum of you who who will not taste death until they see this. Now centuries before this event in the book of Exodus, we, we read of God coming down on Mount Sinai in a cloud. We read where the voice of God spoke out of the cloud and everyone was afraid. Moses went to the top of the mountain and begged to see God's glory, to see the greatness and majesty of God. And the, and the Lord responded to Moses' request, When my glory pass by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by, but my face cannot be seen. No one may see me and live. Exodus 33, really 18 through 23. Moses could not see God's glory directly. However, just getting near was enough to cause Moses' face to shine, reflected of the glory of God. In our text this morning, we are again going to go to the top of another mountain and we're again going to be confronted by God's glory. Verse 2 tells us it's actually six days following Jesus' radical teaching on discipleship when He takes these three up to a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon by themselves. Hermon meaning holy or sacred. Peter describes this event that takes place in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, For we were with Him on the holy mountain. In His typical style here though, Mark simply states, very clearly, very simply and succinctly, and He was transformed before them. This word transform here speaks of of a radical change. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. This transformation reveals Jesus' true self and essence in an 
outward visible manifestation. It was a, a display, it was a glimpse into the glory and majesty of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Mark adds, his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. This couldn't be done by man. Matthew adds, his face shone like the sun. Luke says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothes became dazzling white. What we have here is a a preview into the Lord's true identity. His glory and His majesty is allowed for a brief second to burst forth. Remember, the disciples had just been told about the Christ who will suffer and die. But now we find the Christ they will see when He triumphantly comes in the second time in the fullness of His glory, riding on a white horse to establish His public and universal kingdom, as we read in Revelation 19. And this glimpse, as short as it may be, will be needed for His disciples. The call of discipleship is a difficult one. The life of a believer is a hard one. You must know that this morning. It demands death, Jesus says. If you faithfully follow Jesus, you will experience difficulty. You will have to sacrifice much for the kingdom. The disciples are going to experience this like they could never imagine. But God will sustain them. And He will do so in large part by allowing them to gaze upon and behold the unfathomable glory of His person as He does each of us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives them a glimpse of it here. And then as we know again, following his resurrection, I want to ask you this morning, is your vision for Jesus big enough? Is it it glorious enough to sustain your call to discipleship? To sustain what we mentioned last week? Daily dying to self and unashamedly living for Jesus. If you're going to take those words seriously, if you're going to embrace that call and that lifestyle, you must have a proper vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to see Jesus as He truly is. We need, I need to behold the glory of the Lord. Are we allowing the false glory of ourselves in this world to rob us from seeing truly and beholding really the glory of Jesus? How big is your Jesus? How glorious is He? How majestic is He? How much authority, how much power does He have? Is he Revelation 19 Jesus? Revelation 19, verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. 
His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. For his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Discipleship. Your ability to surrender your life, your wants, your desires to follow Jesus has everything to do with you beholding the glory and majesty of the one you're supposed to follow. You must see him for who he is. Look, if we have a small view of Jesus, then his call of discipleship seems way out of place, right? Pick up your cross, deny yourself daily and follow me. I mean, that's ludicrous. Unless it's coming from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then it makes sense. You must behold the glory of the Son. We must do that. That's what we see first, the glory of the Son. But secondly, we see the affirmation of the Father in verses 4 through 8. There's two voices in the following, in the following verses. God the Father and Peter. Jesus says nothing. And he doesn't need to. He's affirmed by his Father from heaven. While his glory is being displayed, Elijah and Moses appear talking to Jesus. And Mark provides us no details to their conversation, but Luke records they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke 9.31 So they're speaking about the cross. They're speaking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They're speaking about, I think, the new exodus where Jesus will rescue His people from bondage of slavery and sin and lead them triumphantly out of slavery. Verse 5 says, And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. You ever heard the saying, Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than open your mouth and make it absolutely clear? Peter did not know that, apparently. good for us to be here. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Peter suggests building three tents or booths. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, as if they're all equal. This ignores both his earlier confession that he's the Messiah and the fact that Jesus alone is transfigured here. But we have to cut Peter some slack, right? Mark tells us that Peter said this because he did not know what to say, for they were afraid. They were terrified, the text says. So we'll make a side note here regarding the response we find in the Bible over and over again when human beings find themselves in the presence of God. They're terrified. They fall to their faces. Woe is me, Isaiah says. The angel of the Lord has to tell John to get up in the book of Revelation. I say this to you because we need to think biblically when we hear or read about someone supposedly entering to heaven 
and having a conversation with Jesus. We have movies. We have books that are highly published New York best-selling authors that talk about even their children entering into heaven and having a conversation with Jesus and coming back and telling them things. You're smart enough for me not to have to tell you to reject all of that, but I, I want you to think biblically. Does that align with what we see in the Bible? Just think biblically when we hear or read some of this stuff. The disciples' fear is only further, though, when they realize, when they see a, a, a cloud overshadow them, verse 7 says. Same word appears in Exodus 40, when the glory of God came upon and filled the temple. Same phrase, same idea is found in 1 Kings chapter 8, 10 and 11, when the glory filled the temple. What we find here is the Shekinah glory as we see in the Old Testament. And over a, a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. These words take us back to Jesus' baptism, right? In chapter 1. But they also take us further back to Deuteronomy 18.15 where God promised Moses, he would send a greater prophet, and to him you shall listen to, it says. The Father affirms Jesus as his beloved, unique Son, whom we are to listen to. His voice and his voice alone must guide us. Verse 8 affirms this, and suddenly, looking around, listen to the language here, they no longer see anyone. But Jesus only. His voice and His voice alone we should listen to. The uniqueness of Jesus is undeniable here. Both in the affirmation of the Father's voice and the scene itself. It takes us to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 where we read long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophet but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Again, I want to ask you this morning, what voice, what voices are you listening to? What voice is guiding your life? Is it you? Your wants, your desires? Or is it Jesus? Is it the opinions, applause, and approval of man? Or is it the one whom has been appointed the heir of all things? The one whom the Father created the world through? Is it the voice of this world telling you everyone else is doing it? Are there there's many ways to God? Figure it out for yourself. You're not a sinner in need of rescue. You just made some bad decisions. Make some better ones. Are you listening to the voice of the One who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature? What voice or voices are guarding your life? Your decision-making, your emotions, your fears, your anxieties, your worries... 
Is it the lies and falsehood of this world? Or is it the unique Son who has been confirmed, affirmed by the Father as the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power? Please listen to me. No one is more influential in your life than you. Because no one talks to you more than you. Whether you realize this or not, you have an ongoing conversation with yourself. And the things you say to you are informing the way you live your life. Are you constantly having a conversation with yourself concerning... You are constantly having a conversation with yourself concerning your identity, your purpose, your worth, your relationships, your fears, your struggles, what you think you need. You are constantly informing yourself based upon some voice. Who is it? So I want you to consider this moment. Who is it? What voice or voices... Are you listening to this morning? It must be the Son of God. It must be the truth of the gospel. I want to to read a quote to you from Paul Tripp. He says this. It's in his book, Dangerous Calling. He says, You are constantly preaching to yourself some kind of gospel. You preach to yourself an anti-gospel of your own righteousness, power, and wisdom, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of deep spiritual need and sufficient grace. You preach to yourself the anti-gospel of aloneness and inability, or you preach to yourself the true gospel of presence, provision, and power of an all-present Christ. Brothers and sisters, what voice are you listening to this morning? Are you listening to the Son? If you're going to follow Jesus, it must be His gospel voice that informs who you are and what you're called to be in this life. You must listen to His voice alone. That's the affirmation from the Father in heaven. Thirdly, disciples are now going to come down the mountain and let's look at the suffering of God's servant in verses 9 through 13. After getting a sneak peek of Jesus' glory and majesty, the disciples head down the mountain in verse 9. And as they are coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. We find here Jesus' final command of silence in Mark's Gospel. We also find the explicit reason Jesus commanded silence itself. He does this often, right? We talked about that. It's kind of weird. He'll tell them who he is. He'll do something. He'll say, don't tell anybody. We find out why right here. Jesus cannot be rightly understood apart from his death and resurrection. Apart from his suffering and dying for our sins and his glorious resurrection, the true identity of Jesus will always be veiled. If someone speaks on the person of Jesus and they leave out his suffering, his death and his resurrection, they're not talking about the biblical Jesus. Disregard it. So he tells them, don't tell anyone about this preview until I rise in victory. So before the resurrection, it's silence. Following the resurrection, it's all proclamation. It's a word for us this morning. Now we need to say a word concerning this Son of Man title. We've seen it twice already in chapter 2 it showed up. 
But it's going to occur much more frequently, much more regularly in the context of Jesus' suffering, beginning really in chapter 8, but in moving forward. And the title takes us back to this heavenly character, this heavenly man of Daniel chapter 7. Let me read Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting domain which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is making clear by His own declaration that He is the coming Lord of glory. He is the Son of Man who will inherit a universal, eternal kingdom. Now the Son of Man language was familiar to the disciples. They had a category for this. It wasn't new language for them. That a category for the Son of Man, just not a category for a Son of Man who would suffer, die, and rise again. Again, as we said last week, the disciples have the pieces to the puzzle. They just can't seem to fit them together. Verse 10 says, So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Again, it wasn't as if they had no category for resurrection. They believed in a resurrection, a a general resurrection at the end of the age. Remember the story of Martha and Lazarus? Jesus, uh, she says to Jesus, we know he will rise again, speaking of Lazarus, in the resurrection on the last day. They believed in a resurrection. But they had no category for a personal resurrection of the Son of Man, which preceded the general resurrection on the last day. I think this explains their question in verse 11. This talk of the resurrection made them conclude that the end of the age was near. So they asked the obvious question, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? This question is actually, I think, a good one. It's pretty spot on. They understood God's promise through the prophet Malachi that behold, I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So this was a a thoughtful, even accurate question in one sense. If Jesus is the Messiah, if He's the Son of Man, the end is near, so where is Elijah? But Jesus responds, as He so often does, with a surprising, probing question of His own in verse 12. Yes, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And then He says, And how is it written of the Son of Man that He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Jesus says the same divine scriptures you are using which predicted the coming of Elijah prior to the day of the Lord also predicted a suffering Messiah, a suffering Son of Man, which you have failed to miss. They'd miss Psalm 16. They'd miss Psalm 22. They'd missed the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, where we read thousands of years before Christ. Surely He has bore our griefs and and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. 
Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. From Isaiah 42 on, we start to see this fully developed theme of a suffering servant who's coming. The Old Testament bore witness to the coming of a Messiah. The coming of the Son of Man who would suffer, be treated with contempt, be killed, and then rise from the dead. If that wasn't enough, Jesus really messes them up in verse 13. But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased that is written of him. What is Jesus speaking of here? Matthew's account makes it especially clear, very direct. Matthew says, but I tell you that, Jesus responds, but I tell you that, that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly uh, suffer at their hands. Then he adds this, then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. They did what they wanted to to John the Baptist. They rejected his message of man's need of repentance before a holy God. They rejected the fact that all men need to repent before a holy and righteous God. They eventually killed him. They rejected his message and killed him just as they would do Jesus. Just as John was faithful with his assignment from the Lord, so will Jesus, the Son. God's Son, just like God's prophet, would experience the same rejection. He would endure the same suffering and be dealt uh, the same death leading to His glorious resurrection. I want to really try to wrap up and bring together where we were at last week and this week with what's been said. As we close, Jesus says, to be my disciples, you must pick up your cross and follow me daily. There's a, a daily death required for us as Christians. Your initial death, your repentance unto salvation, was just the start. Discipleship demands daily digging into the depths of our sinful hearts and doing the hard work of denying ourselves. You will not do this if you're not listening to Jesus. You will not do this if you are being led by a, another voice. If your life is being guided by any other voice, you will not be able to do this. If you are not submitting to the truth of His gospel daily, if you are not taking in the truth of God's Word and allowing it to shape your identity daily, you will not be able to die to self and live for Christ. You must listen to Jesus to follow Jesus. His voice must be the lamp under our feet and the light unto your path. I want to say something even deeper to you. You will follow who you listen to. Who you listen to will determine the way you live your life, the decisions that you make. In the end, it will determine who you will become and where you will go. You will follow what you listen to. It must be Jesus. His voice must be the lamp under our feet and the light on our path. And that will not happen without... That's why I want to wrap it up. Bring it together, hopefully. That will not happen apart from 
us daily beholding the glory and majesty of His person. Jesus is the glorious Son who stepped down from His throne in heaven to enter this rebellious world. He's the glorious Son who took upon the fullness of our broken and falling condition in His person. He's the glorious Son who lived the life we should have lived without sin to secure the righteousness we could never obtain in our own doing. He's the glorious and majestic Son who was rejected by us, by the sinful humanity He came to save. He was despised, rejected, smitten, beaten, brutally hung on a cross as a shameful criminal. He did so in order, the Bible says, to bear our sins in His body on the tree. But three days later, He rose again, demonstrating the fullness of His majesty and glory, proving and providing proof that He is the great suffering servant who has come to rescue His people from sin. Jesus alone is the one who has the power, the authority, the majesty, and the glory to call us, to equip us, and to sustain us in the life of discipleship. So I want to challenge you this morning to consider who or what you're listening to. Who are you following? What are you following is what I'm saying. What you're listening to. Who you're listening to is who you're following. Your life is being shaped and guided by the voices you give authority to. If you listen to it, you give authority to it. You approve of it. And we consider whether or not those voices, the voices that are pulling you, consider this morning, are those voices worthy of your following? Look, I know we all struggle here. Your pastor struggles here. We all struggle here. We struggle as Christians with competing voices. You know, I know we struggle with this because this struggle began in the Garden of Eden with competing voices. You have the voice of the Lord and then you have the voice of the serpent come on the scene. And ever since that day, we have been wrestling with competing voices. Voices. We need to be honest about that this morning. We need to confess that we far too often order our lives in accordance to the wrong voices. We hear the, the radical language of Jesus to deny ourselves, as we said last week, pick up the crossbar of the cross and carry it to a death. And if you're like me, we hear the, the strong language of that and we read over it and we think, wow, that's amazing. I love Jesus, but let's get to the next page. And we do that, I think, because we haven't and we're not beholding the true value and worth and glory of the Son. If we gaze upon Him, if we see Him for who He is, those voices, those things that are pulling us away from following Him become less 
and less powerful, less and less worthy of our affections, less and less glorious in the sight of His glorious face. More than anything else, we need to gaze upon Him this morning. The life of discipleship, I think more than anything else, what we need is a daily glimpse into the person, the glory and the majesty of Christ. The more we see His glory, the more the false glories of this world will fade away. Look, I I, want to say something this morning and I don't want to minimize anyone's pain, anyone's situation that you're in, anything that you're going through. Because we all walk in here with heavy burdens, difficulties in life. Those are close to me. But I want to say the way through those is to see something that is of much more value, that is of much more worth than anything we experience in this world. As Paul says, we can see the surpassing glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then those things that hold us down and weigh us, those struggles that we're walking through in life, they're not minimized, but they're brought into perspective into the sun to the glory of His great name. We find the strength, we find the enabling grace to walk through them, not in our own strength, but in the glory of the One who suffered and died on our behalf. In the glory of the One that we are walking towards as brothers and sisters. The goal is what? To see Him face to face, the Bible says. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're wrestling with who is this person. Maybe you're giving him a little bit of importance in your life, but you're recognizing this morning he's not the Lord of lords and the King of kings. That's a decision you can change this morning by seeing him for who he is. We see him for who he is, we see him in his holiness, his righteousness. And all of His wrath and anger towards sin. And we see ourselves rightly as sinners in deserving of all of that. And much more. But then we see the cross. And we see what Jesus did for us upon the cross. That He laid down His life and He lived the life that we needed to live. And He died the death deserving of us in our place as our substitute. And we can have that life and that glorious resurrection that He took part in if we repent Turn from ourselves and turn to follow Him. That's a choice that's before us this morning, each of you. That's where you are. It's a posture of your heart. It's a simple confession, Jesus, I can't do this. Save me. Help me. And He's faithful and just to do it. Maybe you're a believer this morning and you're recognizing that there are loud voices in your life and you're allowing them to take you places you don't need to be. The call to follow Jesus is very, very difficult because the voices that are keeping you onto other paths is pulling you away. What do we do this morning? We do the same thing we did when we came to Christ. We lay those at His feet. Forgive us, Lord. And we ask for new eyes today to see Him for who He is. We ask for new eyes, new affections to look upon the glory of Christ again and say, Lord, I I need more of you and less of me. What do we do? We deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and we follow Him. 
That's what we do today. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing two songs. One about the worthiness of Jesus and then one just really delving into his person and his work. And I want you to consider both of these. Let's pause for a moment of reflection and then I'll pray as we move to these last two songs. Father, I sense, as in my own heart, I sense a heaviness in this room. I sense your, I sense the conviction of the Spirit. I sense the power of your word resting upon us, Lord. And to that we say thank you because that's your grace. Lord, we want to be disciples that follow you. But we recognize that in and of ourselves we mess that up. We don't have in and of ourselves what it takes to obey you, to listen to your voice, to follow you, Lord. We confess that this morning. But Lord, we, we know that at your feet is the fullness of grace that we need. So Lord, we, we ask this morning that you would give us eyes to see, help us to look upon your beauty and your glory this morning. Help us to see you in the majesty of who you are. Help us, Lord, to have a much, much smaller vision of ourselves, of our difficulties, of our problems, of our sufferings, a much, much smaller understanding of our shortcomings in light of the magnitude of your great name. And Lord, I, I do pray for anyone in this room who does not know you and they're wrestling with that this morning, Lord, don't let them leave in that conviction. Allow that conviction to draw them forward to speak up and to ask a word. Lord, I pray that they might be able to walk out of here a child of the King today. Lord, shape us, mold us by the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.